Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of The Intelligent Moron with Alex Silva. The final week of October, I believe. Yeah, by the time next week, it will already be November, in which it would be time for the countdown to Thanksgiving, the best holiday of all time. The bet, well, not all time, but one of my favorite holidays. And there are some, you know, movies out there that I would consider highly recommend that you watch for one, and two, that would be considered Thanksgiving movies. Two of them I can name you right now. And not necessarily, they don't really necessarily revolve around the holiday of Thanksgiving, but they kind of give a nice thanksgiving type of feel and you kind of feel like oh this feels like a like thanksgiving time one is scent of a woman starring al pacino now that one actually is more inclined to be a thanksgiving movie because it takes place majority during the thanksgiving holiday in in the movie number two is not a Thanksgiving movie, but every single part of it to me feels like Thanksgiving. And that would be Rudy, the football movie with uh, Sean Astin. That movie for me is always has those Thanksgiving fall vibes that I think honestly just kind of, they just kind of play well together. You know, it's not really the most, um, it's not, it probably is not the best sports movie to ever be made, but it is a one that you can kind of watch and be like, oh, this feels right, you know, just because of, you know, the season, it feels right, you know. I'm not one to uh, watch a ton of them all the time. Like, I don't normally just, like, sit down and plop my plop on the couch and just watch them, you know, every year. But, you know, if they're, if you have them, or if they're on, maybe catch a little glimpse of them. It makes you feel more in tuned with the season, with the fall season. Um, was a big week this week, not necessarily for like news or anything like that that I would care about, but you know things that happened this week, um, the past week I should say. Um, I think I um, mentioned maybe a few weeks ago when I was playing God of War Ragnarok, that I was probably thinking about getting, picking up the new Spider-Man 2 game. The new game that just came out last week. You know, when I was thinking about it, if I should pick it up or not. And up until maybe two weeks ago, I was thinking to myself, you know what, I'm probably not going to get it at launch. Because... Although I did enjoy the very the first game that they made, the 2018 one, I enjoyed it quite a bit. But I was thinking to myself, like, I don't think I really need to pick up Spider-Man 2 at launch. I think I'll wait. And then, you know, the more time went on, you know, my friends and I would just be chatting, you know, de- uh, messaging and stuff like that. And they would be hyping up Spider-Man 2 a lot, actually. And I ain't going to lie, the hype got to me. The hype really, really got to me. 
I was seeing people post about it. I was seeing people, you know, getting early access. I was seeing people picking up the consoles. I was seeing people, um, you know, just like kind of going crazy, you know, about um, this game. And I was like, you know what? I'm kind of feeling this hype right here. I'm kind of feeling like the the buzz around it. I don't know what it is, and I'm like, you know what? Maybe I'll just join the fun and, and play it day one, just like everybody else. So, you know what I did? I picked it up day one, and I played it, you know? And honestly, bro, this new Spider-Man game is so dope, is so lit. Like, I was a fan of the first one, like I said prior. I liked it. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. It was a fun combat game with a very good story and very fun web swinging and very fun mechanics and, you know, gameplay was sick. The graphics were cool. But it wasn't like a, like a huge, like, eye-opener for me. Like, I guess like, I had missed, like, the hype or something like that. Like, I didn't play it when it came out, obviously, I thought it was just like, you know, a very good, solid video game. A very good, solid Spider-Man game. Until I played this one. And if people are asking me right now, like, if you if you want to know, like, my initial thoughts, I'm not going to spoil anything. Because I'm only about, like, maybe 8 or 10 hours into the game. But if you were to ask me, is this Spider-Man 2, is it better than the first one? I would say without a shadow of a doubt, absolutely yes. This game is superior to 2018 in many, many, many different ways. One way is graphics. Graphics are noticeably better they have, they just, the game looks better, the game flows better, the game um, has good facial animations, it's got good, you know, light tracing and water effects, and there's not that much clipping when it be, when it comes to, like, you know, things interacting with one another. Um, the combat is very, very good. There's multiple ways of combat, more than the first one. At times, it can be a little overwhelming because there's so much things that you can do in terms of combat. At least that's what I felt was like there's like a few additions that are that are given to you on how to, how to take out enemies like in a fight, not like sneaking around, but like in a fight. And like there's a lot like you kind of forget like how many different abilities that you have at some points and that you can use them because you're so focused on just like at least for me like I'm just like a brawler like I just like to fight the guys dodge them fight them just like fists you know uh, combat like that but there's so many other different ways that you can kill like or beat up enemies you know and take them out that you don't really need to punch them all the time so it's like the addition to that is is great because it's like they really took the time to craft like all these different ways and special abilities that you have for your character and it's like dang like this is such a massive massive upgrade compared to the first one 
So that's one. The graphics, the combat, all elevated to 11. They really outdid the first one. The next um, thing that they really stepped it up. And this part, what I'm about to say, this, this level of elevation, of excellence, of what they did in this game, really makes me you know, feel like I'm actually Spider-Man, which is crazy because I haven't felt like that in a, in a Spider-Man game since, like, what, Spider-Man 2 back in, like, 2004 or 2003? I can't remember when that came out, but the web swinging and the traversal of the map of New York City in this game is incredible. The web swinging... The tricks you can do, the way the city is designed, the way how you can just like jump through everything, wall running, web zipping, web swinging, it's unbelievable and and just it looks so good too that like it's just great. It's, it's awesome. Like I cannot believe because they did it so well in the first game. I honestly thought that, you know what, how could they make this better, right? But they did. It just looks better. It feels better. And it's quite, you know, incredible. Especially, you know, the fact that you can play as both Peter Parker and Miles Morales is a great thing, too. It's so much fun. And they have, like, different, like, quests and missions that you can do. And different suits, obviously, that you're able to unlock and different special combat moves, which is just like, it it just adds so much variety, and so much like, on how you can play the game the way you want to, like you can like main anybody, and anybody, you know, level up them both individually, whatever, however you want to do it, it's just so much fun, and I... I didn't play the Miles Morales game. I probably should have now that I thought about it because, you know, when I first booted up the game, I did the recap and it tells you what happens in both games. And I saw like what happens in the Miles Morales game. And I completely forgot that that even made that game. And I was like, oh, shoot. I just saw what happened. Now, now I'm spoiled. But it was like still like, dang, like these games, you know, Insomniac. PlayStation, I mean, this game is awesome. This game is awesome. Like, it delivers on every single form that it's ever, you know, that that you can achieve in a video game, I think. Uh, The gameplay is great. The, The web swing, the combat, the story so far is awesome. It's evolved. Characters are have evolved. They don't feel like the same from the first game. They feel completely different, and that time has passed. The villains, too, they're different as well, and it's just awesome. Like, it's it's such a fun game that I cannot believe, I actually can't believe, how much fun that I was having with this game. It is something that I was not expecting to be as fun as it is. Also, to the fact that I'm when I'm playing this game, you know, I was there day one. I got the you know the launch edition. You know, I was there when it came out. Zero bugs, zero glitches, zero um, problems with the game so far. You know, 
absolutely no problems with it with this game and i gotta i take my hat to these guys who made the game like you know i've played two new release games back to back starfield which i have not finished yet and now spider-man and very very minimal if anything no problems at all and i just can't recommend it enough if you've been on the fence about this if you're thinking about it and you have a PlayStation, maybe you want to get it for a gift as some for somebody, maybe you want to, you know, just get the game or pick it up, maybe pick it up on Black Friday or something like that when it's cheaper. I th- think that this game is a 100% recommendation to play. If you're looking for like a game to play at the moment, that's a story-driven game with great gameplay and 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 a really fun game, like I think that Spider-Man 2 is like got to be like the one to pick up right now. It's just so fun. Like, I can't believe how much better the game is from the first one. Like, it's unbelievable. It truly is unbelievable. And everything that's in it is designed so well, too. Like, the menu is cool. The UI is cool. Um, The characters, like I said, both are awesome. Like, they totally, like, did not half-ass this game. And it shows that they actually cared. So, I gotta tip my hat. You know, I got a simp for Insomniac in PlayStation. They put out a game that actually feels like it, it it deserves to be played by everybody. I don't think that anybody's gonna play this and be like, that wasn't fun. Like I just don't think that's gonna that'll be even a thing. I think if you pick up a controller and play this game, you will at least have a little bit of fun. Now, I don't think that, that anybody's gonna pick up the controller and be like, this is not fun. I truly don't think that that's even possible. So if you're thinking about it, if you want to pick it up, if you've been hearing things, if you've been hearing me, if you've been listening to me, I totally think that you should pick up this game. It is incredible. It doesn't hold back. It's fun. The story is great. And you will feel, let me tell you this, you will feel like Spider-Man. Trust me. All right, moving on to movies. Saw a new movie this week. I've been waiting to see this since it was announced, since it was, you know, brought up, since it was it was becoming a thing. The first time I heard about it was maybe about two years ago, maybe a year and a half ago. Um, I saw Killers of the Flower Moon. Killers of the Flower Moon this past weekend. The new Martin Scorsese picture, written and directed by him, directed by Martin Scorsese, written by Martin Scorsese and Eric Roth taking place in the early 1900s, a Western movie um, about um, the Osage tribe in Oklahoma. And um, it's actually a book first. It was, it was based off a book. Um, let me give you a little synopsis of the film first. When oil is discovered in the 1920s Oklahoma under Osage Nation land, the Osage people are murdered one by one until the FBI steps in to unravel the mystery. So already, when you hear that synopsis and you hear that it's by Martin Scorsese, I'm already in. 100% in. Like, Martin Scorsese, if you've ever dabbled into his films, and if you haven't, I highly, highly recommend that you do. Martin Scorsese has an incredible way of telling stories and telling the types of stories that he loves, which is like crime stories, crime, mob, and now Western, but mainly crime, 
It's all around crime. If you look at Casino, Goodfellas, The Departed, um, The Wolf of Wall Street, and now The Killers of the Flower Moon, all around crime. And what he's able to do in this movie and in previous movies before in, in the past is truly establish what is going on and along with incredible performances lay you out an epic of events that happens in this film and even in his past films and completely suck you into this world and what is happening in this world. Now this movie is long um, time-wise. It's very long. It is three hours and 26 minutes long. I gotta tell you this, it didn't feel like it at all. It felt like it just flew by. And that's what I want to get to first before I truly break it down. This film is probably one of the most perfectly paced movies that I have ever seen. Now, putting it up, up, up with Oppenheimer, but this movie, for how long it is, and for how dense of the story that it is, and what happens, and every moment in this movie is very, very, very important to the story and what is happening with these characters. And there is probably not a better filmmaker to do to tell these stories and lay everything out. And from what I've heard, you know, pretty much captured the book as best as, as they could in a three and a half hour time period and tell a compelling story and with great characters, with a pretty big ensemble of characters and great side characters as well, and lay it all out and just really just nail everything about it, including the the pacing and the runtime. Like, there is not a moment, I think, in this movie that is not important for everything. And I even said that about The Irishman. The Irishman is pretty close to how long... Uh, flower moon is it's pretty close to it and like i said in that film and i will say it again there's not a moment wasted in this movie on the story it's there's nothing wasted there's no parts that i look at the movie when i when i look at it after i've seen it and think to myself like maybe they could have cut this out maybe they could have cut that out maybe this could have been a little bit more tighter no i don't think that whatsoever I truly do think that he is the master at pacing his films and making them so enjoyable at the same time. And I think the reason that this is possible is to point number two, and that is the actors and the performances of these actors. Leonardo DiCaprio in this movie, who plays... um, Ernest Burkhead is the lead in this film. And he, I mean, this might be his best role probably in his entire career. Like, he, the way he, he approaches the character, like, like, not even like how you would like view Leo as just being a normal dude. Like, he completely transforms the way he looks, the way his mannerisms are, how he just, like, looks at people, how he how he looks at things, the, face that, the faces that he makes, the way he delivers words, 
this is probably the best performance that he has been in for me since um man uh wolf of wall street i did not see the revenant so i didn't know if he was as good or if you know if he was as good as you know they said in that movie i've not seen that film but this to me is probably his best performance of his career um he just like completely becomes this character and you know he he plays it so well and it's like almost like you don't even recognize this guy as being Leonardo Leonardo DiCaprio and it's incredible i mean another shout out to um Robert De Niro who kills it as always um you know him and Scorsese really are like a match made in heaven you know, in terms of the films that they've worked on. And I think that Leonardo DiCaprio is also starting to become one of Martin Scorsese's, like, go-to fellas because he's also just incredible in everything that he's in as well. Um, the Another standout was Lily Gladstone. She plays um, the lead actress, um, Molly Burkhart, in this film. She's incredible as well. I mean, I was, you know, she's probably going to get nominated for, you know, Best Actress just from this performance alone. She is so good in this movie. Um, She's there, like, every step of the way. She doesn't, you know, falter. It's not, like, some, no one really carries the movie. It's all supported by everybody who's acting in it. And that is why I think that this movie is so, it just flows so well is because, there is so many characters. There's there's a big ensemble of characters in this movie that are, you know, played by these great actors. Like I just said, DiCaprio, De Niro, Gladstone. Um, just to throw some people out that have already been in, you know, that you've already seen, Jesse Plemons is in this movie, you know. Um, so it's it's so, like, acted so well that it's just, like, so gripping to watch. And there's not, like, a single performance I can think of that is, like, mm, this guy kind of sucked, or he was selling it there, or he wasn't giving it his all, or he kind of took me out of the movie. Like, there was none of that. There is, like, no bad performance that I could pick out in this movie to criticize and be like, yeah, this kind of brought the movie down. Like, I can't think of a single one that was in this movie that was a bad performance. Every single performance was great, and that, to me, is a big reason why this movie just works, is not only the writing, not only the the story itself, not just the directing, but everybody just makes you feel like, yeah, this is, you know, this is some serious stuff, and these actors are giving it their all, and it's funny because it's like, you can't even tell that they're acting, they're just acting so well that it just seems natural. I'm pretty sure I've said that before in the past, but it's true. Like you can, there is such thing as overacting. I've seen it. I've seen when actors try too hard. You know, you, you can very well see it. This one is just like everybody was so good. They're not trying to overdo it. They're not trying to overact, and it just works. It's just perfect. And I thought that that was also a gigantic key for this movie to be so successful and so good as it was. And I think that, you know, with having said all that, you know, it, it truly does make like a, a lasting impact too, a lasting impact because I had never heard of this, uh, 
story of the Osage um, uh, Native Americans in my entire life. So this is like a brand new like thing that I've never even heard of. You know, they were essentially like rich, very rich uh, group of people. And people wanted to take advantage. And like I said, the synopsis, they were being killed, you know, because they wanted the, the power and the control. At least, you know, the the, um, the the people that were coming in to, you know, try to, you know, take the land, you know, get that oil. You know, it's crazy how much it was like, you know, so sacred to them. And they went to these uh, crazy ways to get rid of these people so they can take control. But it's such a it's a crazy story to see like how that was all played out. Um, I have not looked into it of what is like you know what was you know over exaggerated or what was you know swayed to make the movie the movie obviously. But you know seeing how that's all played out and seeing how you know just how well everything worked on screen, I was just like blown away of how good this movie is. Like I would highly recommend anybody you know give this movie a shot because. Number one, it's a film that, you know, that needs support, you know, that, that it would be nice for these guys to, you know, to, to, you know, cash in on such, such hard work that I think that they fully deserve, you know, to see this movie. And it's also just a good story. It's a good story to, to, you know, to watch unfold and see how all this happened, you know, and how it's all conveyed. That's another point, like... The movie is conveyed so well in this in this in this time period that the production value and the set design, the costumes and the props and all that, it was unbelievable the way it looked. And it's great now because, you know, everybody's like, you know, got that western bug because of Yellowstone. So like this is like a great movie if like you're if you're like, you know, obsessed with like westerns and Yellowstone, like this would be like a great like movie for you to watch. Um, in theaters right now, so, you know, take the trip to the local theater, and go check out Killers of the Flower Moon, for sure, I will say, though, it does take up pretty much your entire day, you know, I went to a Regal Theater, and the movie essentially is almost like four hours long, because, you know, previews before the movie and all that, and sometimes they don't really start the move the movie on time, so you know it could it could you know push you to like possibly four hours you know being in a theater, so that might take up most of your day, but I think it's still I think that it's still worth it. I think that it's a good movie. I think it's a great movie to go see and go you know actually you know really soak all in and get all that Scorsese cinema that you can possibly get because this movie is cinema to me like this movie is without a shadow of a doubt like one of the best movies that come out this year I still think that I have Oppenheimer as my favorite movie this year but I think that would you know Killers of the Flower Moon would come in second for sure you know just because it's so well done and it's just a a Scorsese masterpiece I gotta say like his filmmaking is so dynamic and is so good well-paced and good, and I gotta say, like, this was probably his more, like, slower movies, not like it's, it's not like the same pace as Wolf of Wall Street, which is just an incredible, like, speed, and ferocity, and pace, this one's, you know, much more slower because of the story slower, you know, 
it's much more of a, a slower pace, but it doesn't, it, it's not like a slow movie. It's still a very, very well-paced movie. It's just like the, the stuff that happens is not as wild as what happens in The Wolf of Wall Street. Therefore, it's not as fast-flowing of a film. But still, like you get that Scorsese filmmaking in there. If, if Scorsese is involved, I'm, I'm watching automatically. I'm watching it automatically. I cannot go another... Um, I cannot miss another Scorsese film in theaters. I just can't. He is a gift to cinema and a gift to the art, you know, in general, and gift a gift to the business, if I'm being completely honest. Like, this guy just makes films that he wants to make, and they're so good, and you got to see that. You, you just got to see it. So do I think that this movie is like top-tier echelon of Scorsese films? Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, it's probably right below the 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 top echelon of Scorsese films. I mean, like, it's probably going to be below Goodfellas. It's going to be below, um, it's going to be below uh, Wolf of Wall Street. It's going to be below, uh, for me, Irishman. Like, probably right below Irishman. I would say that it would be higher than casino because i think casino is not as good as killers and oh wait you know top echelon i forgot is departed that's that's up there as well that movie's incredible and has always been incredible um but i think it's just right below top tier scorsese so if goodfellas and for me if goodfellas wolf and uh uh, shoot, Departed is S tier, then I think that an A tier would be Irishman and Killers. And then B tier for me would be Casino. And I, I mean, I'm probably going to get some hate for this one. B tier would also uh, have um, Gangs of New York. I'm just not a big fan of that film. I'm just not. Um. So yeah, Killers of the Flower Moon. I reviewed it on Twitter. I'll review it here. I'm going to give Killers of the Flower Moon a 9.5 out of 10. 9.5 out of 10. Not my favorite of his films, but definitely a film that is totally, absolutely worth watching because this is why we go to the movies. This is why we go to the movies. To see these stories play out and fantastic filmmaking very little effects, very little, you know, minor gripes. Like I, there was like a couple scenes that had um, some uh, pretty bad choreography. I think there was like a scene where someone is getting uh, stabbed, and the stabbing does not look like it's real. Like it looks like it. It, it almost mirrors the scene of when. Um, Robert De Niro's character in The Irishman is stomping a guy on the curb, but is, you know, it filmed in a way where, like, obviously they're not going to have him stomp on the person, so they have him stomp on the curb that's, like, in line with the guy's stomach, but it clearly he's stomping on the curb, and it's like he's faking that he's getting stomped on the stomach, and you can tell, full-on tell that he's not. 
it was a scene like that, similar to that with a knife and where someone was getting stabbed and it just kind of looked like, oh, that's not real. That's fake. Like, that would be my one, like, gripe. That's it, though. It's it's a, it's a, such, a, like, a nitpick. And, yeah, that, that would be about it, though. Like, that's about it. But, again, Killers of, of the Flower Moon, um, 9.5 out of 10. Go check it out. All right, moving on. Moving on to some sports. Talk a little bit about sports. Haven't done that in a while. I'm going to shift a little bit from football right now. Um, Talking a little bit about baseball. Now, I have not talked about baseball since the Dodgers um, were eliminated from the postseason contention by the Arizona Diamondbacks. And now I will be talking about how the Diamondbacks have miraculously have made their way to the World Series, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, I'm just as shocked as all of you are that the pretty much the bottom seed of the National League has made their way all the way, you know, to the World Series. And they will be playing. Who do you think they'll be playing? Yeah, Astros, the Rays, the, uh, you know, any good team? No. Or, you know, team that's, you know, expected to make their way there? No. They will be playing the Texas Rangers. So the World Series is set, and it's going to be the Texas Rangers versus the Arizona Diamondbacks. And got to give it to baseball, right? A matchup nobody was expecting. Nobody was, you know, actually, you know, thinking that could possibly happen. The way the Diamondbacks were playing this year, you never would have thought that they would make their way all the way to the, you know, the World Series. But here they are. Here they are. They're about to face the Texas Rangers. What actually sickens me for real, what sickens me is that the Texas Rangers will be doing it with manager Bruce Bochy yet again. That's right. Dodger fans, Giants fans, the one and only Bruce Bochy, the man who took the San Francisco Giants to three World Series championships. The only person I think that has won every elimination game that he has ever been in is Bruce Bochy, or at least winner-take-all games. Bruce Bochy has done that. He is the man. You know, at the moment, he is the man. The first season back coaching baseball, managing MLB, he's got himself all the way back to the World Series. This guy might be just the god of baseball. Um, He has had some down years for sure, but when he's on, he's got his team in the World Series, and if history is to repeat itself, he's never lost a World Series, so I guess what's going to happen is the Texas Rangers are going to win the World Series. Now, I wouldn't be so quick on that. I know the prophecy. I know the way that this works. I know the the storylines. Bruce Bochy never lost in a World Series as a manager. I get that, but the way... The Diamondbacks are playing baseball right now. Has me a little worried about that. Has me concerned for sure. Now, the Diamondbacks, you know, they've been playing some pretty, you know, good baseball. As much so as I have grown to hate them. I've grown to hate the Arizona Diamondbacks. 
because not only one had they disrespected me and my Dodgers, well, mainly my Dodgers disrespected me, but they disrespected the Dodgers and they disrespected, you know, just, you know, everyone's prediction and, and, you know, where they should be. They essentially flipped the script and went all the way and they've been playing some really good baseball. You know, let's give them credit. You know, this kid Corbin Carroll, you know, has been playing so lights out for like this entire postseason that's been borderline annoying to watch him play. Now, I had not been watching baseball since the Dodgers had flamed out in the NLDS. So the game on Tuesday that I watched, the game seven of the NLCS, was my first game back watching. And I had just been prior, but just been like watch, just getting like alerts and who's been winning and maybe catching some, some highlights. But I actually watched that game almost entirely. And they piss me off. They're so good. And they're so like, you know, dialed in that it, it pisses me off so much because they are that good. Like they are so good. Like I thought that the Phillies would at least like, you know, shut them up. And they did for a few games. Like they had like a, weren't they up like 2-0 on the Diamondbacks? And the Diamondbacks kind of clawed back. And then they were, the, the Phillies were up three to two and then they the Phillies actually ended up losing both games in Philadelphia to close out the series and then you got like you know stories like Bryce Harper showing up to game six in all black you know the funeral attire and then you got Nick Cassiano showing up in a Jordan jersey like I'm gonna show up and then nothing happened I honestly hate when players do that I hate when they decide to go all freaking like in and just like, you know, like, 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 you know, wearing all black, like a funeral, like we're going to be sending these, this team home or to the grave essentially. Right. And they just can't do it. Right. They think they lost that game five to one and you can't do that. Like one, because if you're going to be wearing that stuff and you're going to be talking the talk, you got to back it up. You have to back it up because then it looks like the stupidest thing that you could have done. And knowing baseball players, by the way, they are the most superstitious athletes, I think, that are on the planet. You would think that they wouldn't want to do that type of stuff. You know, give you a little bit of bad juju, you know, like set you set you uh, your team up for failure. Like You don't want to be the person to do that. And I just think that, you know, when when teams do that, when they kind of set themselves up, not for failure, but to look like fools, it honestly just hurts every single time I see it. It's like they're punching themselves in the face when they do that. It's not really something that I'm a fan of. And when they do it and they look like fools, it's just like, well, why did you do that? Why did you do that? I was thinking to myself like, you know, seeing alerts like Bryce Harper is in all black tonight, or Nick Cassianos is wearing the jo- the Jordan jersey. Like, bro, what are you doing? Like, this is not gonna end well for you. And I'm sure that the Phillies thought that they were gonna win that game, that they were gonna crush the Diamondbacks. But the Diamondbacks had other plans, bro. They were like, nah, fuck that shit. We're gonna beat the Phillies in their home stadium at at, at the bank is what they call it. And let me tell you, they did. 
and I was watching that game last uh, two nights ago, the game seven, and you know Arizona jumped on them pretty quickly. It was one zero at the top of the you know the first, and then the Phillies were punching back. The Phillies only scored off of uh, the first one. The first run they had was a home run, solo home run. After that, they had a, uh, a RBI double, I think. And after that, nothing. Nothing big from Schwarber. Nothing big from Harper. Nothing big from Turner. Only thing, only players who did anything was um, Alec Baum and uh, Bryson Stott. That was it. Nothing from Harper. I mean, that's going to be, you know, a game where he looks back and is like, what happened to me? Nothing from Nick Castellanos. You know, when they were getting Zach Wheeler warmed up to pitch, you know they were getting desperate. Like, you know at that point it was like, uh-oh. These boys are in trouble. Like, this is truly a winner go home. It's all or nothing at this point. So it's like, if they're going to bring out their 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 game one starter, right, then they then, then truly, like, they are, their bats are not connecting with the ball. Like, their hitters are just not connecting, and that this is not going to end well. So it sucks to see that the team that did beat you in the NLDS meaning beating me in the NLDS um, is going on to the World Series because if I when I look at these games that the Arizona Diamondbacks played and how they played and who they beat and seeing how even the Phillies took it to game seven and I'll admit they blew a lead they blew it but still Watching these games, I and even like Ranger Suarez, like in game seven against the Diamondbacks, how many innings that that guy went, only allowing like two runs. I don't think that anybody, even on the Dodgers pitching staff, could have done that. Like, I don't think that we had the capability to do what the Phillies even did. Even on the Phillies, blew it at the end. They still managed to, to compete with the Diamondbacks. Like, we didn't even compete with them. We didn't even try with them. We couldn't do anything with them. And seeing just how the Diamondbacks were able to defeat the Phillies at, in Philadelphia, like, it was just like, oh my God, how did this happen? You know, some people are clamoring that baseball, the baseball postseason is a broken product. Because we're getting all these teams that are the number one seeds, that are the best teams in the league, best teams overall in the regular season, and then they all flame out. And then we're what do we have left? The Diamondbacks and the Rangers? Like, oh hell, like, what happened? How did this happen? Now with us, with the Dodgers, it's easy. We had no starting pitching. Clayton Kershaw's got to go. And then nobody else could pitch after that. Um, so that's that. And, you know, everyone else just kind of like underachieved. And like it almost seems like the play the, the teams that are underseeded, at least in baseball, just play better, play harder. I think it's because the better teams kind of play down to the opponent. And when they do that, they get fucked. They lose a lead or they they they, they get behind big. And they kind of panic. They go into panic mode. They're like, well, we should be beating these teams. So let's go beat this team. And that whole mindset is just not something that you need when you go face these teams because you need like the 
the killer instinct to go in and be like, you know, take them out. But obviously they didn't have that. And it was just a bloodbath, at least for the Dodgers. I don't know if they're broken, though. I think that they, the, 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 the teams that are good in the postseason are just the hot teams. And you, and you just can't stop them. And when bats go cold, like when players like lose their confidence and just can't hit the ball, it lasts for a long time. Like like players go through like month long slumps where they just can't hit a thing. Like I think I even told you guys this on like a few weeks ago. Like Mookie Betts did not get a single hit in the NLDS, and that's just unacceptable. But it probably was just a you know a big old slump that he was just going through, and he just could not you know get through it. He just couldn't battle through it. Freddie Freeman had one hit, and it was just an infield hit, and that was it. It, you know, you couldn't actually believe it. You know, they just couldn't make contact with the ball right, and that, I guess just else, that's also just how it goes. And we get a pitcher that's just unhittable. It's just like, whew, good luck. There's nothing at that point that you can do. Um. So yeah, that's I, that's just baseball, though. You know, that's just how it goes. Um, moving on, though. Moving on. Last topic of the day. Going back to it, the NFL. The NFL, and I guess my fantasy team. We could talk about that as well. We'll talk about that first. My fantasy team is actually doing okay. Not the best. Kind of in the middle of the pack. And right now I'm 4-3. and three. You know, pretty sure like last year I was like at this point maybe I was like 1-6 or maybe 2-5. and five. At this point last year. So I'm doing much better. You know. um, This year. I actually had the opportunity to win. um, This past week. Um, I had. um, So many players. That just did not play. Well at all. They shouldn't even play. Essentially. Last week I started Calvin Ridley. Should not have done that. He only got me a point. 1.5 1.5 points. 1.5. That was it. I started the, the, the Detroit Lions kicker. No points. Zero. Um, so pretty much two players that just didn't do anything, and I lost by a total of four points. So you think about it. If Calvin really had like maybe two more catches, if my kicker would have had at least like two field goals, maybe a couple extra points, I would have probably won this game. And the fact that I lost by four or six points um, in this fantasy matchup is actually kind of kills me. If I'm being completely honest, it's not a good feeling. You know, you look back on it and you're like, wow, I was actually closer, you know, much closer than I thought I was. And then, you know, I kind of, you know, I'll be honest, before the match even started, I was projected to lose big time. The fact that I only lost by six points, though, breaks my heart. But also, at the same time, I'm like, man, this probably won't happen again. But then again, the guy I'm going up against this week has got probably the best, like, fantasy team that you can possibly imagine at the moment. Let me just run you his his lineup right now, because it's actually unbelievable what this guy is running with this week. Like, I think he might be the best drafter or the best, like, you know, guy to pick up, you know, players. I mean, it's just incredible. This is his 
fantasy lineup. Quarterback is Justin Jefferson. Wide receivers are Tyreek Hill, Devontae Adams. Um, sorry if you hear the car in the background. Uh, someone's, I don't know. Um, running back, Alvin Kamara and Isaiah Pacheco. Tight end is George Kittle. Uh, he's got two flexes, Puka Nakua and Zay Flowers. And his kicker is Young Wei Koo. And his defense is Baltimore. Now, if you, if, I mean, honestly, looking at that, that is probably like the most trendy, um, trendy and like just like the hottest players right now in the NFL at this point. Like, I don't know how this guy got, was able to get Puka Nakua and Zay Flowers. Like, how is that even legal, man? Like, how the fuck did this guy end up with Puka Nakua and Zay Flowers? And those are his flexes. Now, I'm not sure if every league is, you know, every league is different. You might only have one flex. But in this league, we have two flexes. And he's got, like, the best flexes you can ever fucking imagine. I mean, like, and his, his, his tight end is probably the best. His running backs are not bad. I mean, his running back is actually questionable. And so is Tyreek Hill. So that actually might be a good thing. Because this motherfucker Tyreek Hill is projected to get 20 points. Are you kidding me? I'm actually kind of um, thinking that I might actually bench Calvin Ridley because of what he did to me last week. That is just unacceptable. But I'm also in the predicament. I think that, you know, because I was scared about my running backs, I ended up picking up Kareem Hunt last week. That, that, that ended up to be, you know, okay. But I'm thinking to myself, like, what if I decided to put in uh, Kareem Hunt instead of James Cook, because James Cook has been playing pretty mediocre this season, if I'm being completely honest, and I would need David Montgomery to be come back healthy, you know, to play, you know, for me this week, hopefully he does, but, you know, just throwing it out there, like, this guy's, you know, team that I'm facing is just fucking incredible, like, even his quarterback, who's not very good, is still, you know, a pretty good fantasy quarterback, you know, let's be real, but the fact that he's got Tyreek Hill, Devontae Adams, Adam, uh, um, Alvin Kamara, Pacheco, Kittle, Nakua, Flowers. Are you, like, fucking for real? This is this almost seems unfair. This guy's team is almost unfair. Um, so, you know, I got my work cut out for me this week. I'll be honest. I got my work cut out for me. I think that I can pull it out. I truly do. I hope I can. I mean, Jesus Christ. I, I, you know, being down, losing last week by only six points truly makes me, you know, not, not, not as, you know, my team can score when they can. Like, I have Lamar Jackson. He had the, the best, probably, um, game of his life last year, uh, last week. So I'm not totally decimated, but I'm definitely like worried just because of how good his team is. But, he has two players that are questionable that are pretty high-scoring players. So if one of them doesn't do very well because of they're injured or maybe they don't even play, that's good for me. But then again, his bench is kind of fucking lit too. So it's like, oh my God, this is going to be a tough battle. It's a tough battle either way. Um, but moving on to some NFL games. I'm going to talk about next week, week eight, which is crazy that it's already here. You know, week eight. Not 
really necessarily being the midpoint of the season because now we have 17 games, which adds another week for buys and all that. So not quite at the midway point of the season, but I guess, you know, we can kind of chalk it up to be um, the, the halfway point of the season. Um, some games that are coming on that I want to talk about, give me give you some predictions of what's going to happen, even though they won't matter when the game's played because, you know, no one's ever right, really. Buccaneers at Bills. I mean, as bad as the Bills have looked this season, and they've looked pretty bad, I don't really think that that the Bucks and Baker Mayfield are going to do that much because I don't think that Baker is the right quarterback to work in that Buccaneer system and what they got going on down there. I honestly think that I don't know any other any team that could work in that buck that current Buccaneer system. If I'm being completely honest. I mean, the year before that, Tom Brady was struggling in that, having probably the worst season of his entire career, possibly. And they barely made the playoffs last year. I think they were actually 9-8, and eight, you know, barely made it. Um, but I'm going to go with the Bills. Even though the Bills are struggling right now, they're not playing very good football. I still think that the I would take the Bills at home um, over the uh, Buccaneers. Next game, Texans at Panthers. Frank Reich is no longer going to be calling the plays in Carolina um, starting this week. So that is going to be a little bit different, you know, in terms of what we've seen out of the Panthers this year because Bryce Young, let's be honest, has not been looking like the number one pick. It's actually been his um, his opponent this week has been looking better, C.J. Stroud, and with the Texans um, this year actually been looking pretty good. And he's had like maybe one interception. This isn't his entire rookie season, so he's looked pretty damn good, pretty solid as a quarterback, pretty good starting quarterback right now. And um, I think the fact that we're not going to know exactly how it's going to go for Bryce Young this coming week might be an advantage for the Texans because Frank Reich won't be calling the plays. That's what I've heard. Um, but I still think that the 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 Texans, to me, seem like they're a much better coached team than the Panthers. So I'm going to go with the Texans in this game. Rams versus Cowboys. Oh, man. Well, the Cowboys, you know, coming off their bye, um, have not looked invincible, you know, after their loss against Arizona and then against, uh, and then against, uh, what, what is it, uh, the, uh, the 49ers just getting decimated and then uh, barely beating the Chargers. Uh, I think we'll give them a, a run for their money. I think we'll actually be competitive. I think that we can actually beat these guys too, even though it's going to be in Dallas. So it's, uh, you know, whatever. We never have a home game anyways because everyone freaking fills up so far with the opposing team. So, but as a Rams fan, I'm going to go with the Rams. I think that they can beat them. I think that Matthew Stafford is overall a better quarterback than Dak Prescott. And I think that he's going to be able to get the ball to his receivers while Dak cannot. So I'm going to go with the Rams over the Cowboys. Vikings-Packers, I think that the Vikings are clawing back pretty good. I mean, they just beat the the 49ers on Monday night, you know, um, obviously that, that Niners team was out with what is, was without Debo Samuel and Trent Williams. So that was kind of a, uh, um, um, a big blow for them. But I think that the 
the Vikings are finding ways to win games, at least uh, for now, without Justin Jefferson. And I think that the Packers are just not a very good team and don't have a very good quarterback. So I'm going to go with the Vikings over the Packers. Saints, Colts. Honestly, the Saints are probably the most one of the most boring teams to watch right now. They have absolutely no identity and no offense that is worth a damn. And the the Colts, honest, honestly, you know, without Anthony Richardson, actually have a little bit more flair with Garner Minshew and have the ability to really blow up a game with their receivers. And now that Jonathan Taylor is back and actually producing well. I think that I'm going to go with the Colts on this one. I think that the Colts at home are actually going to, you know, I think are actually favorites over the boring-ass Saints. Patriots, Dolphins, listen, the Patriots just beat the Bills. Do I think that the Patriots are actually good? No, I think the Bills are kind of in a in a weird funk right now. I think that they just kind of can't really get that offense to be completely humming, and they left too much on the table. You know, they actually, the, the defense of the the. Uh, the, the Patriots actually look pretty good with intercepting Josh Allen. And, you know, once Josh Allen is getting some interceptions, he's not he's not really playing to his full potential. And, you know, he can't really do the things that he's known for. So with that game, I'm going to go with, uh, you know, the Dolphins have lost two in a row as well. No, 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 they haven't lost two in a row. But, like, um, they haven't been playing that well, too recently but this game is in Miami I think that you know the home field is going to help him out I think that's going to help him out as well so I'm going to go with the Dolphins over the Patriots um Jets Giants this is tough because Tyrod Taylor played pretty well last um last week and um the Jets are coming off their bye I do think that the Jets or the Giant the, the Jets are playing better they're playing much more better than, the, than we thought that they would Zach Wilson has not been terrible, and I think that if he's able to, you know, play well, he might be able to uh, get a win for them over the Giants. So I'm going to go with, you know what, is going to be, you know, probably out of, out of pocket or, you know, out of the ordinary, but I'm going to go with the Jets over the Giants. Jaguars, Steelers. The Steelers, to me, still don't have a very good complete offense. I think that they kind of you know, go along the game and then kind of find magic on the way and kind of actually, you know, start to play well when the game's about to end and when it's like pretty much like no time left on the clock. So I'm going to go with the uh, Jaguars anyway because I think that the Jaguars are just a better team. They can run the ball so much better than I think than the than the Steelers can. I think that the, the run game for the Steelers has been pretty in pretty much like not even there. So I'm going to go with the Jaguars because I think that they would be able to run the ball early and get a big lead. And I don't think that the the Steelers have the offense or the, that capability to come back and, and beat them. So I'm going to go the Jaguars over the Steelers. Um, Falcons and Titans. I think the Falcons are pretty good. They're not like the greatest team in the NFC South, but I think that they do have the capability with the talent that they have on their team with B. John Robinson and Kyle Pitts. It all kind of depends if the quarterback is able to make those plays. And at the moment, I think Ryan Tannehill is still out. So they're going to probably have to rely on Derrick Henry. And I, I don't really trust that because Derrick Henry has not really looked like that great this year. Um, but I'm going to go with the Falcons over the Titans. 
Next game, Eagles-Commanders. The Commanders right now are not in a good place. They haven't been playing very inspired football. They don't really seem to me that they have much of a direction of what like is what they're trying to do over there. Every time I watch their games, whenever I see like them on red zone, I never see like any real emotion from the coaching staff there. They don't seem like a very good, well-coached team, and the Eagles are just like a great team. Great overall and great coached. So I'm going to go with the Eagles over the Commanders. Browns, Seat- uh, Seahawks. Seattle has been playing very, very well. The Browns have been finding ways to win. I think that in this game, being in Seattle and Deshaun Watson, I think is going to be out this game. I'm going to go with the Seattle Seahawks over the Cleveland Browns. Ravens, Cardinals. I think that the Ravens are playing some of the best football out there, some of the best offensive football. I think that um, Lamar Jackson has been playing out of this world these past few weeks. And the Cardinals, to me, have come back to earth, like fully come back to earth. They're just not good. And they're waiting for Kyler Murray to come back. Like, it was cool when you all beat the Cowboys the way that you did. But now that that's done, they're kind of just back to who they were. So I'm going to go with the Ravens over the Cardinals. Chiefs, Broncos, the the Broncos are like still like one of the worst teams in the NFL. Russell Wilson is not looking good. It's actually like looking like one of the most stupidest and, and pointless trades that have ever been made in the NFL's history. That it just looks bad. Like like no way to put it. Like the way that this this trade has ended up of letting Russ cook. I remember seeing that all last year. Let him cook. Well, we've let him do something for this long. He's not cooking. He's not cooking at all. So I'm going to go with the Chiefs over the Broncos. A few more games. Bengals, Niners. Dude, if if the Bengals could, can beat the Niners right here, then they're, they're still alive. You know, they're alive. It looks like that, you know, Brock Purdy is actually going to be missing this game because of not being cleared out of concussion protocol, which was broken, you know, yesterday by Adam Schefter, like, Wait, wait, wait. When was he concussed? Was this in practice? There was no other information besides that, as as far as I've checked. Just that he was not, he did not clear concussion protocol. So he had to have gotten injured on, you know, the the game, the Monday night game versus the Vikings. And, you know, that's got people chatting and, and, you know, the conversation has been going and, you know, information is, you know, crazy right now. But it looks like they're going to be starting Sam Darnold. And, you know, this is going to be the first time we see Sam Darnold start, like, a game since, like, last year. And this is going to be under the Shanahan offense. So this is going to be an interesting matchup. If the if the Niners can pull it out and get the win, then they're still solid. They're still good. But if the if the Bengals can kind of, you know, like, come back and get a win here, that's going to be dangerous for the AFC. And, who, and who's going to be challenging, you know, you know the, they'll be climbing the ranks of the AFC. So I'm going to go with the... Uh, I still think Sam Darnold is a good quarterback and even a better quarterback in the Shanahan offense. So I'm going to go with the Niners over the Bengals. But if the Bengals do win, it's going to be pretty shocking. Um, Bears, Chargers, this is on Sunday night. Well, what a terrible game for Sunday night football. Um, I'm going to go with the Chargers because I think that, you know, Justin Fields is still going to be out. So, you know, I mean... Justin Herbert's got to have a good game, you know, somewhere, like a good dominant game. Like this has got to be the game where he has like a good dominant, you know, throwing the ball all over the place game, right? This is the game to do it, I think. So I'm going to go with the Chargers over the Bears. Monday night game, last game, Raiders, Lions. 
the Lions look pretty awful in Baltimore uh, last week. Pretty damn awful. Like, unrecognizably bad. Just terrible. But they were playing the Ravens. Now they're playing the Raiders. I think that, you know, if the Raiders decide to... I don't know if Jimmy G's going to be back or what, but if they have Jimmy G, they have a chance to beat the Lions. If not, they have no chance. I hope... I think that what happened to the Lions last week was probably a fluke, and they'll be back, you know, you know, ready to go this week and probably probably be pissed off and play angrily. So I think I'm going to go with the Lions over the Raiders uh, for Monday Night Football. That's the last game, and that's going to be it for me today. People, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. If you um, make sure to like, subscribe, rate, review, um, you can find this podcast at Intelligent Moron with Alex Silva on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. This podcast drops every Thursday morning. Again, like I said, make sure to like, subscribe, rate, review, do all that good stuff, comment, share, do all that. And yeah, thank you for listening, thank you for watching, and I will see you guys next week.